I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems. But getting therapy has its own problems too. Like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Join us for a journey as we go back to the great civilizations of the past. Who were the people? What were they like? And how did they end? Let's find out on this final episode of the 640s BC on Fan of History. Yeah, this is the wrap-up episode. It we'll is. cover everything we couldn't fit into the other ones. Exactly. This is our longest decade so far in the show. I think so, right? How many? Wow. Got a lot of episodes out of the 640s. Yes. So let's start with the sports. Yes, the Olympics, 640 BC Olympics. We have two champions. We have, oh my God, you got to do that. Spiris the Laconian. Yes, Spiris the Laconian. He was victor of the stadium. Yeah, being a Laconian is probably being a Spartan. Yes. And then Kylon or Cylon was victor of the Dialos. I don't know and where that's he's from. The 400 meter race. Yes. That's all we have. Sparta still doing well in the Olympics. Yeah. I'm interested. It's interesting that we sort of lost the detailed reports from the Olympics. I know. But maybe they'll come back. It's like we don't even have a lot going on in mainly in Greece at this time. No, they're just uh, making their colonies work and doing good things. Yeah. Easy, you know, they're, they're writing stuff. And they're, we they're don't even have a, col- a new colony. Oh, that's just everything is great in Greece. Yeah, yeah. I guess the Messinians are getting assimilated into their slavehood, so they're not yeah, fighting there. Yeah, is too far away to be a problem. Yeah, yeah, he's not a problem. And then the Ionians are dealing with the Cimmerians, so. Exactly. Now we reach a point of contention here. Yes. I wanted to avoid Rome <laughs> totally until we have actual historic facts, but here I see. Legendary stuff sneaking into the podcast. I know how much a lot of it's legendary, and the name I can't resist. And plus, we had him before, Tullus Hostilius, and because he, he's the warlike king, of course, his name is Tullius Hostilius, like Nautius Maximus. That's because he's a legend. 
Because I understand, I understand, and so yeah, I know. Well, there's a couple of myths what happened to him. They, one, it says that his house was struck with lightning because he made a mistake in performing a sacred rite to Jupiter. So everyone in the house was killed and the house was burnt to the ground. Maybe it was Ashurbanipal's magic that misfired. Yeah, it could be. It's interesting that this period, how God is very arbitrary. You know, the people's gods are. Because, you know, you have in the Bible in this period too where, you know, if you do something wrong, God, like you can't touch the Ark of the Covenant, it'll kill you. It's just a powerful thing. It's not, I don't know, very arbitrary. You'll just, you know, you do the wrong ritual and it'll strike you with lightning. I think it is because religion is very ritualistic. It's a lot about what you do. Mm-hmm. And then you have to have some motivation to actually do the ritual correctly so those the gods are really angry if you do the rituals wrong right basically the religious people were was the religious trade was run by people with ocd obsessive compulsive disorder they you know, do oh, this yes. ritual perfectly or god will kill you oh tullus astilius is that in 642 that's why he's here yes that's why he's here they say he died in 642 so no one that's all we more have to talk about. about him. But, I'm sorry. Uh, no, let's. I want to say more things about him, but he's a legend, so let's avoid him. Let's just avoid him. This guy is not. Well, this guy's a legend, but he's a true legend. He's a legend in the sense like you're a legend, Dan. Like we oh, always thank say, you. who's the who's the guy you do the podcast with? Oh, Dan, he's a legend. You really are, though. He's um, a legend, just like Archilochus. Yes, Archilochus is, I believe, how because Ryan had helped me pronounce him. Good. Archilochus. We talked about him in this decade because, remember, he had the uh, eclipse. Oh, yes. Yeah. It seems like a long time ago we did that. So he's a Greek poet. And we talked about him in the 680s. So another one of my friends from the 680s, we talked about um, him. We covered him in a little bit because he's the guy that coined the term tyrant when referring to Gyges. Archilochus, the inventor of tyrants. Yes. he Right. He is the earliest known Greek author to compose almost entirely on the theme of his own emotions and experiences. So he didn't just talk about the gods and oh, ancient things. He was talked about, you know, it was his own emotions. And his poems are really like kind of dirty. They're a little bit body. Um, he talks, you know, explicit sexual things. But we could do poems like that. Well, I'll are get we some. really a family show with all the flaying and mass murder? Yeah, we might as well have some of the sexy stuff too. That'll be for the Patreons. We'll have a special episode where you and I read Archilochus's dirty poems. <laughs> that will kill our Patreon. <laughs> if you send an email, I'll, I'll send it to you. <laughs> okay. Oh, goodness. Yeah, he was revered as the, by the ancient Greeks as one of their brilliant authors, though. And always almost on par with Homer and Hesiod. But maybe we'll start doing Archilochus quotes at every decade. Oh, why not? Especially if they are dirty. I'm going to definitely look for some. Now, you're te- you will definitely challenge me. Yes. He, he's also quite a good arguer. This is I love this because I, I have a – so I could say bad words. Then I, I have this – this is my theory. I say you can't convince someone they're an asshole. Like, you know how you always try to talk to somebody? To, you know, you, I'm going to tell this person off, and they're not going to believe you. You know, you could tell them how nasty or stupid they are, but apparently Archilochus can convince someone that they're an asshole. Because there's a story that his insults drove his former fiancée and her father to suicide. And the story is that he was supposed to marry a girl um, named Neobule. Neobule. 
but the father reneged on the agreement. So Archilochus, he retaliated with such eloquent, eloquent abuse and insults that they both killed themselves. <laughs> so this is the guy that two men should have hired to insult Ashur. Oh my <laughs> God, you're so right. Instead of using his lame Elamite insults. I am seriously. He definitely... <laughs> you're the best. That is hysterical. Oh, God. Yeah, I would like to know how he did it, too, because I got, you know, you know, I have a couple past people in my life that like to give me a hard time, and I never can seem to convince them that they're wrong, so... Don't kill people with insults. No, no, I just don't. My grandmother always says, kill them with kindness, kindness, and that's been my motto in life. So, anyway, yeah, he died around 640 in a battle against Naxians by a man named Calandus. And his nickname was the Crow. It's according to legend, Apollo was furious and excommunicated the Crow then from all temples. That's that's so very Greek to for a poet to die in war. Oh, for sure. Everyone is a citizen hoplite. I don't know about this battle. I couldn't find anything about this. You know, it must have just been a maybe a little. You know, just a little battle. They're they're where they lived. They were close to each other. Um, you know, these two places, and there was a battle, and that was it. He didn't live long, from around 680 to 640, so he was about 40. There's a shrine on Peros where he's from, though, and there's still a hero cult. There was a hero cult dedicated to him that lasted for over 800 years. Wow. Right? I wonder what the trappings of that cult was. That Were you reading, like, his uh, naughty poems to each other, or...? Yeah, they would read different ones of his poems and talk about that, because he did write about battle, and he did like the sexy poems and about battle, because he was kind of like, um, if I recall, he was kind of like your your soldier who talks about being in a hellhole, and you know, he wasn't all about the glory of it, he was more about the soldiering of it, you know, the, the hard times and the, and, you know, fighting with your brothers and that kind of thing, more gritty. Now I do want to hear some of his quotes. Yeah, we're going to look up. We're going to definitely look up some more of his poetry. A lot of it is lost, unfortunately, and some of it comes from other, you know, they refer, they reference him. But, yeah, we're going to find out. We're going to do his quotes. Hang in for the 630s. We're going to have some Achillicus quotes. And it seems that the Phrygians were still around somehow in the 640s. Mm-hmm. Because there are tombs found at Gordium, their, their capital, that I thought was destroyed by the Sumerians. But uh, Midas' successors were buried there, and we have found their tomb. We found 7th century tumuli in Gordium and Ankara. And they are quite easy to date because they have Greek imports, stuff from Greece uh-huh. that we can date. Uh, there are timber graves in mounds. And, of course, Phrygia is eclipsed by Lydia uh, next door. So it, not even these these kings' names do not count down to us. But Phrygia is still around in some sort of shape. Yeah. But uh, they are, of course, hard-pressed by the Sumerians, but still surviving. Yeah. Which I thought was interesting. It just seems like that area can never... Uh... Put it. It's like the Levant, you know. It's they have to kind of always end up being part of another empire, but they're 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 very wealthy, you know. There's a lot of money and just good stuff going on there, but they always end up being part of another empire. But right now they're they're still hanging in there. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. And now we are going to talk about the real winner of the 640s. Who's it? It's Semeticus yes. of the 26th dynasty of Egypt. Because the Assyrians are way too busy to care about Egypt. So he's yes. just uh, saying friendly words to Syria. He's ruling in relative peace. And Semeticus will be around until the 610s. Amazing. And it seems to be very, very peaceful in Egypt. Uh, Necho and uh, Samedicus were puppet princes. They owe their power to Ashurbanipal, but they're like too far away. Yeah. <laughs> and the Assyrian influence of Egypt is, isn't that big. No. I wonder, we don't know how much tribute they sent, but they seem to be doing very well. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think, yeah, you know, unifying the country, they probably have enough money, you know, tribute to send that it's not crushing them. As long as they pay that, it's cheaper than fighting them and get, getting themselves their house back in order. Yeah, and they also have, they have a lot of uh, cultural contact with uh, the Carians mainly. Yeah. But this semi-Greek people of southern Anatolia, and they also have some Greek influence coming yes. into Egypt. Yes, they definitely do. This is when Necrotus, that's I think we already said that it was already founded, but then it, you know the Greeks start they they're they're trading island there. They start to really ramp it up. So I think there's a lot of good money being made there. It's easy to just pay off the Assyrians. Yeah, definitely. They they do have an enemy though in Egypt. Who is it? And it's an old enemy. It's Nubia. Oh. And there has been fighting between Egypt and Nubia in the 650s, but uh, the Nubians are out of Egypt. They try to come back, but Semeticus is keeping them away. Hmm. Yeah. There is a king, uh, a Kushite ruler in uh, Nubia called Atlanersa, or nice. Atlanarsa. He's the successor of Tantamani, 
who claimed to be the last ruler of the 25th dynasty of Egypt. Yeah. Uh, Atlanarsa could be a son of Taharka, ah. who we covered quite a bit. I love Taharka. Uh, and of course, stuff is happening at Jebel Barkai. Uh, so there are foundation tablets with Atlanarsa's name showing that he started a temple dedicated to a god called Osiris Deadven, huh. which is sort of a Nubian Osiris version. Aha. Uh-huh. That's, remember, Taharka's buried at Jebel Barkal. Yes, uh, they, they all are, I think. Yeah. Remember, he built the, the gold shining thing where it shines over his pyramid and everything. Yes. Yeah. And this uh, this uh, temple was located near a small New Kingdom chapel there because new, the New Kingdom reached as far as Jebel Barkal. Yeah. Atlanersa seems to have died in 643. But his successor, Senkaminisken, started rule in 640. So the Nubian source is not very good. Right. This Senkaminisken could be the son of Atlanersa, but also his brother. Remember, they had this weird yeah. succession, Nubians, that you were succeeded by your brother, but then he was succeeded by your son, and it was complicated. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Senkaminisken will rule from 640 to 620 at Napata, the capital. And he still claims to be a, a pharaoh of Egypt, but uh, he doesn't have much influence on Egypt. There is an inscription in Egypt, in Memphis, mentioning Senkaminisken. Hmm. But, uh, yeah, that's all we know from Nubia. I wonder if the pharaohs had to take off the two cobras. Remember how they had the two cobras, meaning that they were the pharaoh of Egypt and Nubia? I think they were, they represented, they were the king of Upper Egypt and Lower Egypt. Oh, and Nubia true, is like yeah. the third place. Oh, you're right. Because Nubia isn't really Egypt, right. except that the new kingdom made it part of Egypt. Right. So, and then they left the Nubians there thinking they were Egypt. Right. Yeah, you're uh, right. Like the, I want to check in with some of the places we mentioned earlier, even though we don't find uh, a lot of information about them. The next place I want to go to is Carthage. Carthage. Because Carthage will be doing great things soon. So we, we established Carthage way back in the show. And they are doing great because they have all the good things of Phoenicia. Mm-hmm. Minus Assyrian influence. The right. Assyrians, still afraid of the Mediterranean, they think Carthage is way far away. They don't even know about Greece, really. Right. So Carthage is, of course, a lot longer further away. Carthage also received a lot of uh, population fleeing from Phoenicia. And the site is super great. The central shore of the Gulf of Tunis, access to the Mediterranean Sea, protection from all of the storms of the Mediterranean and the city is growing I mean that that makes sense they're not in a the war zone over there and there, there's no one nearby that will attack the will attack orchard, but it's still built to be easily defended there's a citadel uh, and uh, you are sort of in the middle of all the trade routes yeah it's there definitely a good spot going on in the Mediterranean 
the Etruscans are trading, the Greeks are trading, the Phoenicians are trading. And this location is uh, pretty much perfect. So Carthage is growing larger, growing quickly, and its population is estimated to be above 30,000 people, which is a huge city of this age. Right. And there's no Tullus Hostilius for real to bother them in Rome, so that helps. Well, there is surely there is some Latin chieftain there, but the, that's not a concern. Not at all. Carthage is way ahead of Rome at this time. Yeah, I mean, we don't even know how far they might have got into your area of the world right now. I mean, we did that whole episode with um, with Doctor Mailhammer. Yes, and I think it's a very privileged position. They, they are so far away from everything bad, and they're enjoying everything good. Mm-hmm. They are also starting sort of gain their own character. All the Phoenician colonists that are now left without their mother cities, because their mother cities are part of the Assyrian world. Mm-hmm. So they are becoming what we could call Punic, right? Okay. As yeah. opposed to Phoenician, they, they are becoming a distinct culture. And in 650, Carthage starts its own colony. Oh, I missed that one. We're right nearby, right? I'm not sure where this actually. Yeah. So, but they, they are becoming a power player in the Western Mediterranean, and they are very independent. Of course, they, there is no influence from Phoenicia anymore. They are exacting influence uh, on the world next to them. They, there is a, there is a tradition of sending annual tribute to the Temple of Melkart in Tyre in Phoenicia. Okay. But that sort of becomes more and more rare and. People from Tyre, they know about Carthage. They will go there if they think the the Arab invasion of the Levant yeah. is, is too much of a bother. But uh, these tributes to the Temple of Melkart, they're coming more and more irregularly because Carthage doesn't need Tyre. But Tyre needs its daughter city, Carthage. I mean, so we're talking, when was Carthage founded? Like 800, right? Around 800? Yes, yes. So we're what? They're like, a bit early. So we're... They've been having 200 years of relative peace and quiet. Yeah, it's almost like United States and England. Yes, but in 50 years, another important power will appear in the Western Mediterranean, and Cortich will uh, find themselves facing an enemy. It's not Rome, right? No, it's not Rome. Wait... Rome, it's way too early for Rome. But they will end up uh, fighting the Greeks because the Greeks are colonizing everywhere. They are like locusts. Yes. Cortes has to do something about it. And, of course, it will concern the huge island north of Carthage that everybody wants. Sicily. Yes, Sicily. Right, yeah. They're always fighting over Sicily. Yes, that will go wrong. Uh, that will happen and uh, go on for a long time. Yeah, eventually we'll just get ready because in a few, and about, a, like you say, 50 years, we'll probably be talking about Sicily about every episode. And we have already founded Syracuse, right? Yeah, we founded Syracuse. The Syracuse is on. That will, of course, be a finger in the eye yeah, for Carthage. It would be. I don't think I did founding Syracuse. You probably did. I know I, we founded um, Gala when I started the podcast. Gala was in, the, in Sicily. 
next time, next thing I want to check in with is uh, Urartu. We did mention Urartu a bit, but it's ruled now by Rusa II. He he will stay around for maybe that's why we don't hear a lot about them because they are under a stable ruler who rules Urartu between 680 and 639. Uh-huh. And he constructs a massive fortress, fortress complex called the Karmir Blur. And I think a massive fortress complex is a great way to keep the Cimmerians away. Yeah. Because when they come riding there, they will say, oh, it's a massive fortress complex, let's go somewhere else. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Let's go to Lydia. Exactly. Exactly. And so calls Rusa II Jaya. He called guy, guy just Google. Yeah, uh, I, I have no idea why, but mm. uh, a cuneiform inscription has been found commemorating Rusa II building a canal to channel water to the city of Quarlini from the Ildaruni, which is the Harastan River today. So this inscription reads, it mentions Saduri III, which... Yeah, I mean, uh, Urartu is, uh, I think Urartu is also kind of a loose confederation of people, right? And the king is... I, I remember they constructed their civilization as a carbon copy of Assyria. So I think it is tightly ruled by the king. Okay. And okay. I think that is what's keeping it uh, alive. Okay, yeah. Under the pressure of the Sumerians. And all these fortresses, they built to keep the Assyrians away. They, they didn't work very well against the Syrians, but they sure are working well against the Cimmerians. Yeah. And they had the they had that the way that they could light the fires, right? Where like where they were all within view of each other. So say Cimmerians or it was Assyrians would come, you would light the one torch, and then they would see it, and they would light the torch until if, you know it would it wouldn't take long before the king realized that there was you know bad guys on the border. And I think this works to repel the Cimmerians so they go to Lydia instead. Yeah. I, I, it's just a little tangent, but I was thinking about, like, walled cities, right? And you, so you think, like, today, like, our cities aren't walled. We don't need them. It sounds silly. But even, like, I would think a lot of wa- cities were walled, you know, thousands and thousands of years ago, not necessarily just to protect you from, you know, other major armies, but just raiders, just someone like 50 guys on horses could come and make a lot of trouble if you don't have a wall. So it's... You know, they build these fortresses and they, a whole bunch of Cimmerians come and see that. And they're like, we don't have catapults. Yes, and Urartu has this long history of building fortresses. Yeah. So, and it's a mountainous region with a lot of resources. So I think they're doing quite well. They, it looked for a while during the age of Sargon that uh, Urartu would fall. Yeah. But they are not falling. They will actually survive the Assyrian Empire. Okay, let's go to a place we haven't been to for a long time. What? Let's go to America. Oh, yay. Coming to America. You coming to visit me? I have nothing on America, but yeah. I just like to remind you what we know about this period, because it hasn't changed a lot. Okay. The Olmecs are still around in Mexico, still probably thinking they are the only civilization in the world. Hmm. Following the decline of San Lorenzo, La Venta became the most prominent Olmec center. We talked about that. It started in 900 BC, and it will be abandoned in 400 BC. Wow. And we don't know a lot. They're building those huge heads. Yeah. They might have a written language. We can't read it. It's all very sad. But they are there in La Venta, which is, of course, a religious sort of 
city and not the city you live in. Oh, it's kind of like Adobe Tepe. But right next door, they have someone who claims to also be a civilization. So if the Olmecs think they are the only civilization in the world, these guys will tell the Olmecs, hey, what about us? <laughs> and it's the Maya. Ah. The Maya are still in their pre-classic period. But they do develop cities around 750. So they should have something resembling a city in the 640s. Hmm. It's just because we can't find them because they lived. They were in forests, right? Yes, it's a terrible environment. And they also very much, their later achievements sort of are, are much bigger than what yeah. they do at this time. Yeah. So, but they, uh, they hang around. They have complex societies, according to uh, <laughs> archaeologists. And they mainly eat maize, beans, squashes, and chili peppers. Oh, it sounds like me. <laughs> <laughs> then we get to my favorite culture of the Americas. Ooh. And I'm so sad we don't have more information about this. I talked about it in the 930s. The Chavin. I don't know anything about them. The hippies of the northern Andean highlands of Peru. This culture that had no weaponry, no violence. There are no traces of violence at all. All they do is worship jaguars, construct amazing things to make water sound like jaguars, and they do huge amounts of drugs. So the rest of the stuff they construct are just drug paraphernalia. <laughs> Oh my, my jaw, my jaw is dropping. I have to find out more about these. And this guy, listen to the 930s episode, because we talk about them there. Uh, the Shavin influenced their neighbors, and this culture is spreading. And it's spreading because everyone else is afraid of missing out. They're like, wow, those guys are so cool. They seem <sighs> to have so much fun. Let's become like them. <sighs> I wish they, they would come here. They will be around even longer. What kind of drugs are they doing? Probably cacti and stuff, but oh. I'm not sure. Wow. But I can also see them in front of me, like Chavin number one to Chavin number two. But hey, I can turn into Jaguar. The other guy goes like, what? Well, have this. <laughs> and they do drugs and then like, now oh, I'm a Jaguar. <laughs> oh man, you're really a Jaguar. <laughs> and that's that's what they do. It's like so entirely different from everything else we speak about. Like Ashurbanipal would wipe them out in a second. You know, they do say like the very old civilization societies were much more peaceful and maternal. Or, or you know, their women were in charge, like they say about the Indus Valley civilization. Maybe they were, and even like the Catahoyuk. Catahoyuk had no walls. Oh. You know, and they like that was 7,500 BC, and they had what, like, 3,000 people living in together. Amazing. Amazing. I mean, it's a completely different society than we have. You know, later once the violence starts. I mean, there must have been violence, but you know, it's we don't know. But they think that maybe people weren't quite as violent with each other. I, I imagine. I imagine. I'm just musing now, but I imagine nature was 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 tougher than other people like you kind of had to stick together to, to just to keep nature away and then once you kind of got nature at bay then you start killing each other 
Yes. You know, I guess. I expect some uh, some Peruvian archaeologists also show up and tell me I'm wrong about Chavin, but I would love to, and I'm sure I am, but I would love to learn more about this culture. Well, since we can't put them in the dates, like you know, decades, we'll try to let's try to do a special episode. It's it's just super unique. Well, we have okay, interns. let's go back to the violent people. Yeah, <laughs> back to the violent people. Who do we got? Of course, uh, the Mayans and the uh, Olmecs are not that violent. Right, not yet. But these guys are. We are talking about the Medes. They will soon get their moment in the in the limelight. But in the 640s, they seem to have lost control of the Persians. Uh, Esarhaddon, Ashurbanipal, and uh, another guy that I will not mention yet, imposed vassal treaties upon the Median rulers. But they also provided protection for the Medes against Cimmerians. Okay. So the Medes seems to be in a bad shape. They have been badly beaten by the Syrians. All those campaigns we talked about before against the Medes, they're finally having an effect. So the Medes are vassals to Assyria, mm-hmm. but they are not happy about it. Mm. And should Assyrian power dwindle, maybe the Medes will take advantage. Yeah. This is when the Medes start to, there are five tribes, I think, too, right? They start to more unite. That seems to be going on and off at times. Yeah. But I'm sure they, they are learning something from what is going on. They, they are not too far away from uh, Mesopotamia, so they, and they've been there for quite some time. Right. So they, they are learning. We don't know who actually ruled the Medes, if they had a king, but it could possibly be a guy called Fraortes. Mm-hmm. All information about him is from the father of lies. The father <laughs> of history, depending on how you view it. Herodotus. Yeah. And Herodotus says that Fraortes was the son of Diocles and united all Median tribes into a single state. Whoa! Oh, yeah. So now they're a single state. Fraortes also subjugated the Persians and Parthians. The Parthians, they're like, we haven't heard about them before. Wait a minute. Oh, yeah, they're right. They're, but they are, you're right. They are They are a tribe, and then they become yes. powerful later. Yeah, they will cause Rome a lot of problems. Oh, of course. But Fraortes was a vassal of Esarhaddon and then Ashurbanipal uh, while he does all of this. So maybe he had control of the Persians. Maybe mm-hmm. that was also an on and off thing. Uh, he began to conquer other nations of ancient Iran, but what nations? I, I don't know. Yeah. But he ruled for 22 years, uh, maybe between 675 and 653, and then he he died in battle against the Syrians. Yeah, remember they went in there, they, they knocked out a bunch of cities in the 50s. Yes. And I think he's the guy that was, he might have been a hostage in, in Nineveh. When he was young. It's so uncertain that Mm -hmm. other scholars, men of learning, good historians, think that Frortes actually lived another 28 years and died in 625. Ah, yeah. The Assyrians mention a guy called Kashtariti, and Frortes could possibly be Kashtariti or Mm -hmm. not, but maybe some scholars say he is, some scholars say he isn't. But he is succeeded either then in 653 or 625 by his son, Xiarxares. 
he becomes somebody. He's important, right, in the future? I think so. We will start to learn more about the Meads very soon. Yeah. The Meads will be involved in important events. I think these mountainous places in these ancient times where they were still, they had a king and all, but they're still very you know, loosely controlled. We have to realize, you know, we live it today where we just get in a car and drive somewhere. You know, these villages were almost so isolated, some of them, you know, to keep people together. You had little warlords all over. The king was just sort of a big warlord. Not in Assyria, of course, because Assyria was, you know, an empire that was more tightly controlled. But anyway. And we talked about the Persians. So the Persians are either controlled by the Medes or independent, mm-hmm. but they do capture an Elamite city at some point. Uh-huh. They capture Anshan. Ah, that's important. And there is a guy called Tyspes who is supposed to have ruled Anshan between 675 and 640, but we know that Anshan wasn't captured, or maybe he captured it earlier than the Elamite troubles. Yeah, Anshan's not ever really mentioned in the list of all the places he captures. I'll double check that, but I'm pretty sure it isn't. Anshan wasn't as, wasn't as important of a... It was used to be one of the capitals of Elam, but you, you know, they, it was, he didn't, you, you did not hear Ashurbanipal put anybody on the throne of Anshan. No, but uh, he was a vassal of the Neo-Syrian Empire, so he was doing all of this while at least paying some tribute and saying that he, he didn't want Ashurbanipal to show up on his doorstep. Right. He was succeeded by his second son, whose name is Cyrus the First. Right. So let's leave the Persians there. Yeah. We talked about the Cimmerians. We mentioned that the Scythians are causing troubles on the steppes and yeah. putting pressure on the Cimmerians. Do you remember the Manians? I do remember. That sounds like a movie. Remember the Manians. Yes, remember them. <laughs> We have this huge lake in northeastern Assyria called Lake Ermia in northeastern Assyria. And this lake is now almost totally gone. It's a total environmental disaster. Wow. But in the 640s and before, this lake was traditionally the border between Urartu Assyria and the Manians. Okay. So territory around the lake was contested by these three states. They are still around. The Manians had a king called Asheri, who ruled until the 650s BC, and he was actually expanding the territory of the Manians. Huh. And that makes you wonder, at the expense of who? Who did he take this territory from? Yeah. Probably not the Medes, because they were doing great as well. But while he was doing this, he was a vassal of Assyria. But then he decided to not be a vassal of Assyria and was defeated by the Assyrians in the 660s. We might have mentioned that. Yeah. And then the Manians took to infighting and they were fighting among themselves. Mm-hmm. And they spent a lot of time doing that. It's always what happens. So that's where we're leaving him. It's amazing, though. That area is amazing, though. Religion from that area. And we just lost so much. We don't have the writing of it. There's... Like when we said back when they found those weird groves and they those the gods that no one saw and the uh, Minians they probably had some of the Zoroastrianism and just such a different territory, different language, right? I mean, I, I think we we still cannot read the Elamite writings. Yeah, I don't think we can. I think we can't read their old stuff and maybe the newer stuff we we could read, but their old stuff we can't. Their newer stuff they, we don't have much of it. 
But yeah, oh, these, maybe they just uh, change to cuneiform. Yeah, yeah. When they have cuneiform, we can. They're old stuff. We can't read. They're real old stuff. That's I saw that with history from Sai with Sai. But yeah, they have this, and, and they're Indo-European. Their language, right? Where the Assyrians, their Semitic language, I believe that I'm correct on this. So they're like a different type of people coming from the the mountains, and they're, they're going to play a bigger role in history next. 100 years for sure. I wanted to do a short recap of the situation. Well, I know we do this at the end of every century. Uh, we have done that before. But I, I wanted to remind you of everything else that's going on. Because at the end of 640s, we are reaching... This is almost the, like the last great time of this world that rose from the Bronze Age collapse. Yeah. And uh, now things will change. Yeah, you're right. Gradually. This is the turning. The 640s really is. Things really do start to change here. Because this is still the world that the Assyrians wanted to create when they started the Neo-Assyrian Empire. And the Neo-Assyrian Empire is still a great thing after 270 years. But what would the world be like without it? You know, Karen Radner mentioned on one of her things how we think, and it is a big empire, especially for the time, but size-wise, it's about as big as Spain. Yes. I mean, it does stretch out to Egypt and all, which is not, you know, Spain is more in, in one shape or whatever, but, it, and she compares it to like the small territories of England or Europe, where they're, you know, their principalities fighting to get to become nations. And I think that's a serious sort of merged all these different groups into nations. And some of these are coming from outside, though, now. These these Menians and Scythians, and they're all Indo-Europeans. They're really different. Yeah, I think you have to, uh, like, look at what the world has seen before. So this, the Neo-Syrian Empire, is something that the world hasn't seen before. Not, not in the West, at least. Oh, absolutely. I don't think anywhere. You're right, really. So we had the Akkadian Empire way back, back. The, the size of the Neo-Syrian Empire and the achievements of the Neo-Syrian Empire. Remember how many things the Assyrians have invented, like aqueducts, regular militaries, boots. Remember the achievements of Tiglath Pileser III. This is very much the blueprint that all coming empires will be using. Absolutely. The Persians, the Romans, they are sort of the natural development of this empire. Yeah. But the one thing the Assyrians got wrong is so clear in Ashurbanipal that their treatment of people yeah. like they, they have been doing this for so long. They extract their heavy tributes, they flay people, they keep people's heads yeah. as decorations at the dinner table. This will not fly. No. And the great invention of the Persian Empire can easily be summarized by how about being nice to people? <laughs> and it's going gonna, it's gonna to create an even bigger empire. Right. Sort of like make people want to be part of your empire. Right. Instead of killing them until they agree to be your vassal. Right. Absolutely. I will talk so much more about that when the Persians achieve their world domination. Yeah. They get so much bad press from the Greeks, but... What the Persians, especially Cyrus, accomplishes, it's fantastic. Absolutely. Definitely. They're, 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 he's a, the Messiah to the Jews. It's pretty much just doing the Assyrian Empire thing again, but 
being nice. <laughs> yeah, do unto the others as you would have done unto you. <laughs> oh well, he does. He does a lot of mass murder as well, but he does it. He, he like the appearance, his PR, his marketing. Right. It's all about like, well, I'm here to help. Become a part of the empire. Don't be a barbarian. No, I'm getting ahead of myself. Yeah, we're, we're, but that's all right. That's fine. I'm glad like when you talk history. So we'll now move into much, much more unknown territory. The 630s. Yeah. So the next is the 630s, and I, I have stuff. But our, our Kavan and everyone, uh, Caitlin, they put some stuff together. I haven't really got a chance to look through it much yet, but it is. There is. I expect stuff. it to not be this long. It is. There's not much. So one episode of the six thirties. Like Probably. we don't know anything. <laughs> There's other things. It's just not Assyria isn't Assyria doesn't have as much. Ashurbanipal is getting old. We'll see how old he is, you know, the next time. See if he makes it through the next um, episode. But um, yeah, he's starting to get older, so probably just hanging and out in his in his apartment there. Remember the basic Assyrian. Of course, that's not true anymore because there's so much Assyrian writing. But when the Assyrian sources go silent. Things are really bad for the Assyrians. Yes. They can't brag about anything. Right. Good for everyone else. <laughs> Is it? We shall see. We shall see. Well, this was great. Six um, forties. We have lots of we have lots of episodes. Anybody wants to contact me, you could get me on the Fan of History Facebook page. And message. I check that. Or Dan. Uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram. I am Dan Horning with an umlaut over the O. Uh, that's, there's nobody else in the world with that name, so I'm You're very right. easy to find. You are, as long as you put the umlaut. And if you want to hear me speak Swinglish in another podcast, there's also Fan of Astronomy, where I talk astronomy with another American who can actually speak English, Angelo. I'm going to have to check that one out. Yeah, we sort of started it up again, but it doesn't have uh, the great reach of this podcast yet. And then I do, of course, 12 other podcasts in Swedish, but to understand them, you have to understand Swedish. Someday. Someday I'll learn a couple words. I have to, could, could, we, could we listen to those, though? We could listen to the Swedish ones? Yes, you could. I'm doing, right now I'm doing a 12-part special about 40, 50, 60 minutes every episode about... Ted Bundy and all oh. his murders. Oof. Well, thank you, Bernie, for all your great work, and thank to you to our interns as well. Yes, thank you to them. Thank you to the listeners for my new mic, and uh, we'll be back with the six thirties for sure. Maybe some other special episodes as well. Yes, I'd love those. Yeah, me too. Well, bye everyone. We'll see you in the six thirties. See you in the six thirties. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting us on Patreon, patreon.com slash fanofhistory. Just a dollar an episode would help us out. Thanks, and see you next time. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? 
Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.